time on Retro Encounter. Captain, I'm detecting a transporter beam to this location. What? My God! Klingons! Captain, look out! Klingon, back! Dudes! He's dead, Jono. We'll mourn him later, Quint. And yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be back in one week with Star Trek Judgment Rights. Uh, and until then, may the great bird of the galaxy roost on your planet. And now the conclusion. Retro Log, Encounter Date, 311. We are currently expecting an update from RPG Fan Command regarding our recent mission, examining the 1992 point-and-click adventure game, Star Trek, 25th Anniversary. While the game offers some redeeming value for fans of the series, it unfortunately failed to offer an enjoyable overall experience. Science Officer, Mr. Took, and Chief Medical Officer, Quentin O'Connor, and myself, have hopes that- Captain, we're receiving a message from Admiral Andriff in RPG Fan Command. This ought to be good. On screen. We've listened to your podcast on the problems with Star Trek 25th Anniversary and evaluated your performance. Frankly, you and your crew absolutely botched the mission. Not only did it result in the death of Ensign Solosi, the most promising graduate of RPG Fan Academy since Captain Hayes, but your acting in the opening skit was also dreadful, with spectacularly poor impressions of three legendary actors. Now, wait, uh... I find Minute, this to Admiral. be an illogical observation. I'm a doctor, not a thespian. Thank you for illustrating my point. Despite the disaster of your last mission, we're giving you and your crew one more opportunity to prove yourselves. You'll take a deep dive into the sequel to the 25th anniversary Star Trek, Judgment Rights, and report on how the game has improved and if it lives up to Star Trek's ideals. RPG fan out. Captain, shall we commence with our new mission? Damn bureaucrats. Quint, calm yourself. Mr. Took, yes, let's begin. Okay, so after that, um, after the fun of uh, my second my second Star Trek fan film, um, or fan podcast, fan, yeah, that, that kind of thing, uh, we are going to jump right in. So yeah, we're going to be talking about Star Trek judgment rights uh, in this episode of Retro Encounter, and it is the 1993 sequel to Star Trek 25th Anniversary, which we talked about last week. Star Trek 25th Anniversary... Our, our takeaway from it, as we mentioned above, it was okay. It was fine. It was not even remotely equal to the level of uh, Sierra or LucasArts adventure games of the period, but there was a lot to recommend it. Like, for example, it had uh, voice acting from all of the original cast members. Sure, some of them only said literally three lines, but it had acting from all of the original cast members. And some of the design, some of the background work was really quite good. It felt like Trek in a lot of places. However, the places it didn't feel like Trek were, uh, in my opinion, the stories. The stories were really, really simplistic. They didn't really have any kind of moral behind them or point of view, or in many cases, even really a central conflict. They were just very static. And it also had what I thought was a not tremendously effective or compelling uh, antagonistic force there. I mean, you had the Klingons, you have the Romulans, they make a couple of appearances, but realistically speaking in the last mission you had this like scientist who's been kind of orchestrating things behind the scenes dr brickdell and he has a history with james kirk which we never knew about and because it's non-canon uh has never been mentioned before but it was like this long history that we should know but we don't and it just kind of ended anticlimactically and the game to be frank doesn't really work now i don't know what they did but i, I guess they hired better writers because they brought some genuinely great stories in Star Trek Judgment Rights. They really upped their game. Uh, the system, it uses the exact same graphic engine with a few minor upgrades. 
for example, there are more, there are pre-rendered graphics of ships and space and like going into orbit and stuff like that, which look way, way, way better than the uh, very primitive pixel art uh, in 25th anniversary. But don't worry, the pixel art's still there in all of the characters. There are a lot less red shirt deaths in this game. In fact, I think there are o- there's only one of them and it's not even really a death, which I have to admit, I feel a bit of a loss because I genuinely think keeping score based on how many red shirts die was really funny. There's way more for the crew to do. Uh, unlike the little random asides, there they, there's a lot of voice acting in this game. And uh, yeah, it also carries over what I think was one of the positives of 25th Anniversary, which is a ton of choice in the missions. Uh, you can always do the bare minimum to get through, or you can take on extra puzzles and has to get a higher score. You can choose your own way. You can be belligerent. You can be diplomatic. You can be combative. And uh, yeah, another thing that I love about this game is that there are connecting threads between each mission. In 25th Anniversary, aside from there being like, I guess, the same antagonist, there was no real season arc. Uh, This game actually does have a season arc. And I suppose because the last game would have been the fourth year of their five-year mission, this would be the fifth year of their five-year mission. And in many ways, that season arc created a feel that was very much like what we see on TV shows today. And funny enough, it's season arcs is something that they never did with... uh, the television series until DS9. So yeah, I'm just curious before we hop in and start talking about the individual missions uh, and you know what we like about each mission and that kind of thing, let's talk about it in general. So uh, Mr. Took, what do you think? Uh, what did you make of Star Trek Judgment Rights? Yeah, so uh, originally, uh, this is actually the one of the two games that I played first. Uh, so it was a, a bit of a, a shock going to the uh, the original game after having played this and, you know, sort of uh going you know dropping out those upgrades uh mm. but uh, i will say my favorite thing uh in the new game probably was that i could set a difficulty level for the uh combat including just turning it off altogether which is what i did oh i forgot to talk about the combat yeah the combat is was a real swing and a miss for the uh 25th anniversary and it, it was interesting as i was reading some of the guides and things i saw that because i turned off the combat there were actually a few like discussions or uh you know communications that i didn't have with enemy mm. ships that i would have had before we fought otherwise so i i, I thought that was a probably a good choice um uh, you know because otherwise it would be like hey let's have this angry conversation and then Moving on to the next planet. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. In the original, in 25th anniversary, we were talking about it last week. It just feels like a kind of a knockoff Wing Commander clone. Uh, not a very good one either. Whereas in this game, yeah, you can choose a difficulty level where you don't, either it makes the ship combat way easier or it turns it off altogether. I left it on. And I mean, I found it to be just as boring and not really all that great as the original. So yeah, if you ever play this game and you decide, oh, I hate this. Just turn off the combat. It's not going to, you're not going to miss anything like uh, Tooker. You didn't miss any real essential dialogue or anything like that. It's mostly just color commentary. So yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting point to make. And Quentin, uh, how did you feel about uh, judgment rights? I really, really like judgment rights. Um, I, I played the games, you know, uh, in order, unlike, unlike Tooker. And so jumping from the first to the second, man, I'm just I'm still thinking about the fact that that you played them uh, in the opposite order uh, took her. And it's like, I, I, like, must I don't quite a shock. I don't like that. I don't like thinking about that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you touched on 
a lot of it already, but certainly the storytelling is in another league. I think there were like maybe a handful of moments in 25th anniversary where I really felt like I was being pulled into Star Trek, so to speak, in Judgment Rights. I, there are a handful of moments at worst where I feel like I'm not. Um, stories are way better. Um, I really enjoyed the connecting threads, and I will say that um, out of all of Star Trek's, you know, season arc stuff, which obviously, like you said, wasn't really a thing until DS9 and then has cropped up in uh, the more recent shows, you know, obviously more modern TV. Um, I think at least as a concept, uh, Judgment Rights is the coolest one to me that like, I mean, I, I love DS9 and I love that. But in terms of like story threads throughout a season or whatever in Star Trek canon that like really grab toward like the, the weird and the like, you know, the diplomacy and all that. This is my favorite. Uh, oh, and one last thing uh, before we move on. In terms of the combat, I like that you turned it off, Tucker. You kept it on, presumably, at like the regular difficulty, Jono. Yeah. We all picked one then because I just kept it on, but I cranked it way, way down. Mm -hmm. And um, I can say if you want those little extra conversation bits and you don't want the headache, I would say go my route because the combat was easy enough that I felt like I was on the Enterprise in one of those episodes that time travels you back into the 20th century, and I would have been going up against, you know, early NASA. <laughs> it's it's definitely funny. Like, the, the captains would be like, ah, oh, you're not going to be able to take me down. And it's just like, it's, it's one of those moments where it's like, Mr. Sulu, fire phasers. Firing phasers, Captain. Shh. Okay, fine, we'll talk. And finished. Um, it's interesting that the storyline of this game, it's... Gosh, I'm I'm working off old information here that I think I read on Ain't It Cool News like over two decades ago. <laughs> um, but I do recall that there was an attempt by I can't remember who it was a big a big showrunner like a a big creator of the time, and he he released a treatment called Star Trek Reboot the Universe, and which was exactly what it sounded like. But he didn't want to do it as a movie like uh, the JJ verse. They did they wanted to do it as a series, and uh, apparently it was going to be very, very similar to this in which, you know, there was the strange new worlds, there's the individual missions, but there was going to be an overarching uh, story where they're tracking down and being like watched by an alien civilization. I can't remember who wrote it. I, there was a few of them back in those days. Uh, Brian Singer did one. Apparently there were a few others. Yeah. Oh, damn it. I, I know who it was. Ah, what's the name? Um, uh, creator and showrunner of Babylon 5. Oh, Straczynski. Yes, yeah, he, he was going, he, he was the one who did it. Oh, wow. That's really fascinating. I don't yeah. know how the heck I've either never heard of this or completely forgotten about it, because I love Straczynski. I love Babylon 5. I heard about the singer one, but this one's completely new news for me. Yeah. In retrospect, I would very much prefer this version to JJ's, but that's going into something uh, a little bit. Uh, that's me. That's me not liking Star Trek or uh, Into Darkness. I really like Star Trek Beyond, though. <laughs> Beyond was, yeah, like I, like you said, I mean, it's going into something totally different, but I, I I definitely want to get in there. If Beyond was the tone of the first two, and especially the second one, I kind of mm -hmm. feel like they would have cranked a few more out. I feel like the uh, the box office returns wouldn't have been so harsh, you know, after, yeah. after Inner Darkness. Womp womp. Yeah, well, I could say a lot about Into Darkness, but I would rather, I'd rather play Star Trek 25th Anniversary again than watch Into <laughs> Darkness. Um, <laughs> the title was fitting, anyway. Carry on. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's actually dive into Star Trek Judgment Rights a little bit uh, because 
I think there's a lot more here than there was in the original game. Uh, and we're going to get into a little bit more detail about that. So we'll do the same thing we did last time, which is I'm going to bring up the game is divided into missions or actually, I guess, from the point of view of the player, episodes, just like uh, a regular season of Star Trek, the original series. And uh, each episode contains its own story. So I'll uh, explain a little bit about the story and then we'll go into uh, the details of it. So the first episode is Federation. And the first thing you notice is in 25th anniversary, it was DeForest Kelly giving a really awkward reading of the title of the episode like demon world yeah whereas in this the name comes up and uh it actually says who writes it and who directs it and the fact that they credit the writer to me indicates that oh they actually give a crap about this now so that's good Mm -hmm. um so in the very first mission we open with a very star trek moment where things are just you know the enterprise just cruising along and all of a sudden a temporal rift opens up and the uss alexander another constitution class vessel suddenly uh gets flung out of it and it's highly damaged and they hail it and the alexander's captain says that we are from a few days in the future and the federation is going to be destroyed and then the alexander explodes and then we get shatner delivering a great a great line delivery where he goes my god (laughs) um so the enterprise manages to track the alexander's uh path to espoir station and where they discover that Kirk's old nemesis, for the purposes of this game, Dr. Burdell, and he is apparently building a device that will destroy the universe unless Kirk and the crew can stop him. So I wish this episode wasn't here. Um, I don't think it needed to be. I was puzzled by its existence. It, it picks up on threads of the 25th anniversary and, you know, the characters and the, the storyline in that. But I feel like the storyline of 25th anniversary was resolved to my liking like there was there were no loose threads or anything like that it was done uh i don't i I get that this is a sequel maybe they felt they needed to do like a full-fledged sequel episode to 25th anniversary but it just brings back a bunch of characters that frankly didn't really work i feel like patel almost works better in this because now he actually does have a history with kirk because we played against him in the previous game so his existence doesn't feel like such a hey, but you never see me again, as you said in the last episode, Quentin. In the in the first game, I, my feeling, my memory is he just kind of showed up at at the end. He wasn't even involved in like the whole you know, the whole mission. Just showed up at the end and was like, "Hey, here I am again, and I'm going to cause you some trouble. I'm going to be in this game for about five minutes, and then goodbye." Um, so he does actually get more to do, and and a little more development uh in this one but i agree it's a it's it's a strange uh strange setup even like the the thing of you know the ship appearing through the temporal rift like that seems unnecessary could just say that they were going to this place and when they get there they figure out that something is wrong i don't know it's just uh an, an odd setup maybe for that you know again just like like you say about the rest of this episode doesn't really seem that connected to anything else. Yeah, I, I it, it struck me a couple of ways. Um, like you said, Jono, the fact that it, it feels like maybe the, the creators were just like, we have to do a sequel, you know, of some sort. And why not start off with that so that we can like resolve something, even though, you know, it was it was resolved. And then um, it's kind of like it, it, they wanted to open the game with this big flashbang to like get people hooked or something, you know, temporal rift. The Federation will be destroyed, you know, destroy the universe and that sort of thing. And um, one of the things about uh, writing science fiction and and fantasy and I guess any sort of fictional thing uh, that I always kind of look for is um, 
scale in terms of like to me it's it's kind of shoddy to open some like anything with like the universe is about to be destroyed you know like Mm -hmm. scale like that it's better to just kind of like keep things a little bit smaller which these shows Mm -hmm. i mean these shows (laughs) these games (laughs) always do like really other Mm -hmm. than this to an extent like so it's just like this huge just kind of like hey guys the universe itself is in peril. Congratulations, you're five minutes into this game. But I did like, um, again, yeah, I like that Bradell at least had some some context this time. It's kind of like, I think of him now in hindsight as this character who showed up really weirdly, didn't have the the prequel, so to speak, that he needed. But at least when he shows up this time, it's like, ah, you... I know you exist, so I feel slightly threatened by your existence. Uh, yeah, it's it's not a great episode. It's it's weird that we kind of like jump into judgment rights, you know, like oh, this is such a better game, and then it's really, eh. but um, it gets better from here. I, I feel like Federation would have been a better final mission for twenty fifth anniversary because Federation does bring a lot of the strengths of judgment rights to it, like the. The mission itself, going to this station, you have a larger environment to explore, but you have many more puzzles to solve. You have lots of uh, lots of items to pick up and and, and uh, dialogue puzzles to uh, figure out. Like I found all of that to be way, way, way better than anything in the first game. But it's just picking up on the threads of the last game that don't really work. So I was puzzled as to why they did that. And you, you mentioned earlier that there are. Uh, you know, different ways that you can go and different choices you can make in this game. And this episode does have a, a good example of that. And Bradell is working with this group of aliens, the same race that was with him on his ship in the last game. Um, and there's a security group that will kill you unless you like do the right thing. And then they, you know, you get, you get a chance to talk, but even after you have, you know, sort of solved that puzzle, there's a couple of different ways that you can go where you, you could just kill them, but you can also like convince them to go against Bradell that he's, you know, not there. They have a very strict code of values and he is not going, you know, in accordance with those values. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that was, that was nice to have that option to, you know, make a, an actual difference you know, in what happened. And Quentin, I completely agree with you about, I, maybe it's just because it's the kind of Trek that I prefer, but I don't, the fact that the, the game really starts with this, this big explosion and the universe is at stake and the only people that can stop it. Like, that's not really the kind of Trek that I enjoy. Um, <laughs> which is why I hate discovery. Yeah. Um, yeah. And see, I, I like discovery, but, um, sorry, I did. I didn't want to bring discovery <laughs> no, into no, it, but okay. I started that. I started it's that okay. sentence and then I got to the end of it. And I was like, Oh yeah, I like the show, <laughs> but that is like one of my least favorite things about it. So still with you. Yeah. At the very least, I'm thankful that the end of the universe in this mission was not caused by a child crying in a pile of dilithium. <laughs> hey man, these things happen. You've never had a kid. I've never had a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but the game, like I said, this mission, I think, does everything better than the original game. It's just the overall characters that don't really work. And I like the fact that it actually had like a little, actually every single mission has like a little original series resolution on the, like, you know, cherry on the top where the crew is sitting, is, is sitting, talking on the bridge. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it did that yeah. too. We got, we got the USS Alexander the one that's not destroyed from this new timeline. And, and Kirk, you know, they got a cute little moment. Uh, yeah, like, that uh, was cool. Yeah, we, we've never met. Huh. 
Um, yeah. So realistically speaking, I think the reason this game, this mission is here is to act as kind of a tutorial mission, but I don't think that it did anything really that a tutorial mission needed to do. I think it just kind of threw you in the deep end. And I feel that the next mission Sentinel would have worked perfectly well as a tutorial mission because it, uh, it was, you know, it did everything this, this episode does pretty much, but not related to the previous game. But why don't we get into that? So in the next mission, uh, Sentinel, the USS Demeter calls the Enterprise for help when, uh, the ship is scanned by high technology from a planet inhabited by violent stone age people. So, uh, the Enterprise shows up and, uh, you know, do a couple of scans and everything, and the Enterprise gets scans, and they discovered a high-tech facility uh, underground that is apparently designed to interfere with the people on this planet's development to make them very, very violent. And th- they beam down to this uh, to this facility, and everything is protected by force fields. They can't get access to any of the machines, so they need to cobble together uh, some equipment to be able to get access to this machine and then figure out what is going on. And they are presented with a moral quandary, which is they discover that there is data in this uh, facility that could revolutionize technology in the Federation. Uh, But the only way they can get it uh, is to leave the facility running. And by doing that, it's going to be condemning the people on this planet to a cycle of violence. But if they shut down the station, they will lose all of the data. But then this race can develop as it was naturally supposed to. So what do you do? I mean, if you're following Star Trek, guess which one's the right choice. <laughs> but in this particular case, this is for me, this is where the game really starts to work for me. Like we're presented with a couple of genuine puzzles. You have to figure out what's going on here. Why is this race being uh, used like this? Uh, you're being presented with a moral challenge, whether or not it's, you know, do you want this data, which is immeasurably important and could completely change things for the Federation? Or do you recognize that, this species is being screwed with and you need to uh, save them. I, there, was, there was so much about this mission that I liked, but uh, why don't we dive in? So, uh, Quentin, what did you think of this mission? Yeah, this is definitely when, when the game starts kicking um, for me as well. It's, it's kind of like like Federation being the end of, of 25th anniversary, like we said. You know, I think that splits the missions between the two games, like 7 and 7. So I, I feel like you know, right off the bat, like Sentinel is, is where judgment rights starts. Um, the moral quandary is, is great. Um, the fact that, like you said, it's kind of this multi-layered, like multi-step thing where these, there's these puzzles that have to be, um, figured out as the, as the mission progresses, instead of just kind of like a lump sum at the start. I really like the idea of, of like this stone age species having like, you know, looking at this tech and just kind of being like, okay, let's, you know, probably beat each other into oblivion with it. Cause I, I feel like that's probably <laughs> what would have happened uh, to humanity. Yeah. It, it could be argued that the same thing would happen now. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's all really cool. Um, I, I love the concept. I guess it could be argued that the writing is a little too swift, maybe on the decision, like the dialogue, for when you decide, you know, to ditch the technology. But I love that too. I love the brevity of it because it's like, it's so vintage TOS for like, if you go that route for Kirk to just kind of be like, 
well, then we're not doing it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's so feel good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Tucker, what do you, uh, what do you think of this mission? Did it work for you? Yeah. I was actually kind of having to think back about, uh, like what the, uh, what the details were on this one and kind of looking it up with, with things. Um, you know, the, the whole thing of them being forced to act more aggressively and, and that impacts you as well is a, a great little touch. I thought, the designs of the rooms in this one were interesting where they mm. had um the like repeated uh geometry in different spots of an individual room that was supposed to kind of key you into some things um but in looking up things to remind myself about this episode i did get reminded of one of the puzzles that i didn't care for in this game and that was where you're trying to decode um a shape puzzle mm-hmm. and one of the requirements to get good you know we talked about how in every episode you get points for everything that you do and then you get a rating at the end like we got for our last mission um and hopefully <laughs> you get a better rating than we did um but one of the things is you have to solve that puzzle on the first try um and that's how you get the that's how you get good points and if you don't solve it in three tries you just lose and you're beamed up because you get rushed i did i didn't love that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i uh, i mean you know there, there's always going to be uh, there's always going to be some puzzle out there that you just don't care for in any adventure game so i'm not really knocking it down too hard for that yeah the uh that was another thing I wanted to mention about, uh, for the most part, I very much enjoy, uh, I enjoy the character designs, uh, and the, the background work, the, for some reason, the stone age people, they all remind me, reminded me of the, uh, Hanna-Barbera character, Captain Caveman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that Tucker, you said, uh, I think is a perfect example of how much better the writing is in this game. And frankly, fairly subtle too, which is. When you're exploring this facility, this this facility is uh, putting out pheromones, which are cause which is causing the Stone Age people uh, aggression. And throughout the entire mission, Spock and McCoy are you know stepping back at one another, and they're making you know they're making jokes and kind of making fun of each other. And that's such an established Star Trek the original series thing. That's what they do. But they're doing it a lot, like a lot, a lot. And it seems to be a little bit more vicious than usual to the point where Kirk is eventually like, what is wrong with you two? Settle down. Mm -hmm. And it's such a nice little subtle piece of writing that the pheromones are also affecting uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah, that was really cool. Oh, I I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, I thought that was a I thought that was a neat little moment. It's one of those things that I could totally see happening in a TOS episode where it's like, you know, um, you have your your regular viewers and that sort of thing, and they're going to be kind of like, haha, it's just the two of them. I love this dynamic, you know. And then after a certain point, it's just kind of like, well, this is getting a little ridiculous. And then in true TOS fashion, we have an answer for that. Here's the here's the plot twist. Yeah, I, I think that I think this mission really works. Uh, and also, this is the start of the overall uh, season arc because it's a test and. To their credit, like the crew recognizes right off the bat that it's a test uh, and they don't know who's testing them. And then at the very end of this mission, uh, presumably if you are being a moral Starfleet officer and do not want the Admiral to chew you out, you choose to uh, give the Stone Age people back their uh, right to develop as they normally would. And then at the end, a a message appears on the view screen uh, saying that you are an acceptable test subject. Testing will continue. 
and you're like, what does it mean? <laughs> so yeah, that was the first moment where it's like, okay, something is going on here and we need to figure out what, but even still like the mission stands by itself. And I think this stands as a better first mission than uh, Federation does, but that's just my opinion. You know, I, you, you mentioned the, uh... You know, real world timeline. You know, now we're into. I think you know we're almost at the end of Next Generation. No, we're we're at least well into Next One Generation. Year. Right? One year, yeah. May ninety four is when it closed, and then generations okay. happen. Like bam, but yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but you know, there was that concept at both the beginning and the end of Next Generation of Q testing the humans, right? Oh yeah, and yeah. so. To just a little bit of a segue into the next episode of this game, I love the fact that that you know you're an acceptable test subject showed up right before we come up against Trelane again, mm-hmm. who is mm-hmm. you know sort of the the cue of the original series, and so I think it's a great fake out to make you think. I guess spoilers. It's a great fake out to make you <laughs> think. Oh, why is a Trelane testing us? Yeah. Yes. That's a perfect chance to move on to the next episode, which is called No Man's Land. And uh, like uh, Tooker said, uh, this features the return of our old friend Trelane, the Squire of Gothos, uh, who is in the show and in the video game played by the original actor who played the part and the epic Star Trek original series guest star, William Campbell, who also played Koloth in um, in uh, Trouble with Tribbles. So wait, it was Trouble with Tribbles, right? Yeah, and then yes. and then he came yes, back for uh, DS9. So anyway, in this episode, you know, the Enterprise is flying around minding its own business and suddenly Trelane flies up in a in a World War One era uh, German biplane and challenges the Enterprise to an aerial battle. If you have the uh, battles turned off, you just instantly wake up in a dungeon. If not, you have a really friggin' hard fight with Trelane flying around in this stupid biplane sounding like a like a fly in your ear or Trelane, if you have it set to easy just basically stays on the screen making that weird noise and you press the button like twice and you're done this this fight was not hard it wasn't hard like the enterprise 2 in oh, the last yeah. game yeah. it was just really really irritating because he flies real fast and he anyway the point is it's a pain in the butt I recommend skipping this. So either after the battle or whether or not you skip the battle, you wake up in a dungeon and uh, you need to figure out a way out of this dungeon. And when you escape, you discover that you are in a romanticized recreation of a World War I era uh, German town where you can roam freely despite being recognized as an American flying ace. And uh, you need to figure out a way out of this town to get back to the Enterprise and to beat Trelane again. And hopefully this time... Uh, convince him that war is not the way because he is obsessed with war. Um, so this is the, like, I liked the last episode, but this is the first episode that genuinely felt like an episode of the original series because it was so transparent. Everything in the town was so transparently fake. And I really liked that because it kind of reminded me of like the fakeness of the backlot episodes in the original series where they would be down to a planet <laughs> yes. uh, that was like, that t- looked like it was a certain era from earth history just because they had access to sets and wanted to save some money. <laughs> yep. And it was just, it's just this very fake little town. And the whole point of the town is you have to go around and you have to find objects of power uh, that Trillane uses to power himself and you need to destroy them. Uh, and in doing so, you genuinely end up in a couple of situations which are touching like in a weird way and like horrible, not just like, not just like funny, ha ha ha. But there's a section where uh, you come upon a trench just outside of the town, which is ridiculous, uh, historically speaking. 
and there is a soldier in the trench dying and you discover that the soldier is perpetually dying. The soldier is always dying for dramatic effect, yeah. which on the one hand is like funny, but on the other hand, they don't play it for laughs. Like McCoy is utterly horrified by it. And like, he is genuinely crestfallen that he cannot treat this man. Yeah. I liked it. it like the idea that Trelane in the original series, uh, Squire of Gothos is a very good episode. Uh, and it is, yeah, he is kind of the prototype for Q that comes in the next generation. I, I think they really carried that on and carried it forward and continued that story in a way where this legitimately feels like a sequel to the original episode. And I was impressed by that. Yeah, instead of like the the mug episode in 25th yeah. where it was just kind of like, oh, <laughs> yeah. there's Harry Mudd. This was definitely, this was, yeah, this was definitely like a Trelane sequel episode and it it earned itself, you know, like unlike Brindell because like we've been here, we've seen this and it was fantastic. And mm-hmm. then on its own merits here in, in Judgment Rights, I, I think I like it just as much, honestly, as the TOS episode, which is, like, wild. Um, one of the moments that hit me the hardest, you already brought it up, but I was I was going to bring it up regardless, is that soldier who's just in this spiral of death. And like you said, it's, like, funny, but it's also, like, how would I actually react if I was standing there? let alone if I was like this trained medical professional who devoted my life to it. Um, Not that I'm not. I mean, that's how we open these episodes. But uh, yeah, it's horrifying. It's like, it's peak Trelane. It's something I could see Mm -hmm. Q doing and not really getting it. And and it just works. Yeah, I always thought that was the difference between Trelane and Q, which is uh, Trelane's casual cruelty is born out of inexperience. And not understanding, whereas Q's is genuinely just not caring. Yeah, he just does not care, and you, yeah. they, they are lesser beings than him. So yep. whatever, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, whereas Trelane desperately wants to be seen as an equal to the lesser beings, or th- they're superior, but not not like not superior as Q, just slightly their superior. Yeah, like Trelane wants to get it. He wants to get what the whole deal is. Q sees what the whole deal is and wants to lambast and criticize us because it's not that great. <laughs> yeah, they're the, the two the two stages of the internet. Um, <laughs> Trelane is message yeah. boards, Q is Twitter. Yeah, basically. I, I think there's a couple of interesting things in this one, I think, uh, in terms of you know game structure. Uh, there's a few times in this episode where um, they definitely have, you know, just kind of, we, we got to keep this thing moving, you know, forward. So like you talk to the girl at the bar uh, and she says, Oh, hi. You know, like, like you mentioned, everybody knows that you are this American flying ace. She's like, Hey, you're an American flying ace. Just FYI. Even though there's some other (laughs) random dudes in the room, I'm a spy. Yeah. Yep. She says, like, well, since you talked to me, I guess I might as well let you know I'm a spy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple of things like that where it's like, hey, you know, we just we got to keep this thing moving forward. And if we're really going to, you know, we can't take the time to build trust and things like that, like you would normally do. It also contained, I I think I could be forgetting one, but I think the silliest puzzle, um, which is. Uh, convincing someone to write an article saying that chalkboards are dangerous to children so that you can take (laughs) the chalkboard out of the school. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's lovely. Which leads to, I think, the only reference that this is a graphic adventure game. Like in 
in LucasArts and Sierra, they do it all the time where it's like this ridiculously huge object will just mysteriously fit inside the protagonist's pants. <laughs> and this is the only time I think in the game where they actually make a reference to that. Where Chalkboard, Kirk, yeah. The, the chalkboard where Kirk does a little animation where he's like, now you see it, now you don't. <laughs> Straight into his pocket. Yep. Yeah. The, I, I think this is a super fun mission. I think it has some, uh, and it actually does have, again, like Star Trek morals where you you are paired up with the first officer of another ship that Trelane has captured. And he's kind of, he hates Kirk because Kirk got one of his best friends. Uh, one of his best friends was under Kirk's command and Kirk made, made a call and this red shirt died, presumably in the last game. And so there's this like conflict between the two where they need to try to figure out each other. And like, is Kirk going to take matters in his own hands and punch the guy? Or is he going to try to make amends or he's going to try to, bridge the gap so that was really really nice too anyway this is a great mission um and if you do enjoy Trelane and you do enjoy q i highly recommend you check out the uh mid-90s novel uh star trek q squared by peter david it it, it reveals that Trelane actually is a q a member of the q continuum and it's and Trelane comes and is interacting with the crew of the uss enterprise d and oh. it it is an amazing book. It's super fun. I agree. Super fun. It's absolutely packed with Star Trek history. Uh, alternate realities are a big thing in it. It opens with the first, like, most confusing two pages of a Star Trek novel ever. When, once you figure out what's going on, you it's very funny. Back in the 90s, um, Pocket Books eventually started releasing series of Star Trek books. Yep. Uh, and yep. uh, this was back in the 90s when they would release. There was the like the numbered Star Trek novels. Every month there would be a new Star Trek novel, but there were also like standalone hardcovers. And this was one of the, in my opinion, one of the best. Like there's there's this, there's Imzadi, which is the backstory between Will Riker and uh, Deanna Troy. Imzadi's uh, good, yeah. Imzadi, yeah, this is this is sort of a sequel to Imzadi. I mean, Peter David writes it too. Hmm. Um, highly recommend it, Quentin. Check it out. Cool. Both of those books are about 20 feet away from me. <laughs> yeah, I have one nice. on my shelf right now. Uh a lot, the, the two hardcover Star Trek books I have on my shelf are Q Squared and uh, Dark Mirror. Mm. Dark Mirror is the sequel to Mirror Mirror, a Star Trek Next Generation sequel to Mirror Mirror, and it is very, very good in many ways. Um, let's move on now to the actual game. Uh, the <laughs> next episode is called The Light and the Darkness. In this episode, the Enterprise responds to a distress call from a barren Class M planet, and they find a structure on it. And upon investigating the structure, they find two machines and inside each machine, there are single-celled organisms. And upon activating these machines, uh, each one projects an image of a being. Uh, one of these beings looks like a demon, and the other one looks like an angel. Uh, both of them claim that they are ancient enemies, and they ask Kirk for help to uh, either destroy the other or rescue their species. Um, and you need to figure out how who's telling the truth, what what is going on here, because the single-celled organisms inside these machines could not possibly be creating... Uh, evolve into these two species, these two images. And you also have a surprisingly prejudiced uh, xenobiologist named Ensign Johns, who has a very black and white view of uh, morality. So I really enjoyed this mission because there is no violence. There is no, there are no Klingons there. You have to use your phaser once, but it's in a nonviolent means. You're using it as a tool to solve a puzzle. Uh, it's just asking questions about the nature of good and evil, how good and evil appear and uh, how you should uh, approach and defeat unconscious prejudices. Plus, you get more information about the season arc, and you start getting your first knowledge about this species that has been apparently testing you, uh, who they are and why they are testing you. So uh, 
yeah, it's also, it's a shorter mission, but I think it packs a lot in there. It's uh, some good, some decent puzzle solving in it too. Uh, Took, what do you think? You know, it's it's worth noting, you, you mentioned, you know, one of the holograms that you see is supposed to look like a demon and the other one is sort of angelic. And the one who is angelic is the one who is like, kill the others. And the one who is demonic is like, hey, you know, like, we got to help us all out and we got to work together and survive this thing. So, you know, that that turns out to be an important, you know, element of the test. Yeah, I, th- I think I liked it overall, but I did, from a game perspective, I did find it really frustrating that one of the elements, one of the puzzles in this game is that this, uh, <laughs> this xenobiologist is like lying to you about you know when he tries to test it he's like yeah no it just it just doesn't work yeah as a person playing the game you think like okay well i guess i need to do a different thing but really it's just you need to talk this guy into actually doing the test you're asking him to do instead of just saying like no i don't like those guys (laughs) just do your damn job yeah i (laughs) I really enjoy Anson Johns in a way that, like, I don't know. I was, I don't know if I was, I was kind of laughing at him. Yeah. <laughs> During his breakdown. But, like, he just, like, he fits into the puzzle as, like, an eminent piece of this episode. And it, it, you know, it works. Like, you just end up having this Joe Schmo that's with you be, like, the antagonist, so to speak, you know, because um, yep. he just has this totally different. Like he's on a totally different wavelength from Kirk, and certainly from what you're supposed to be clicking in this uh, <laughs> graphic adventure game. He's also a compl- on a completely different wavelength than I think any character that I've seen in Star Trek. Certainly, Starfleet officers, which is although they do not mention a specific religion, like it seems that Ensign Johns is a very religious man. Yeah, and religion is something that Star Trek infamously does not go into. They may use like allegory or they may use alien religions uh the one time they did of course kirk ended up fighting rock monsters or at least in the director's cut (laughs) but yeah ensign johns is like he's kind of a he's he's really into the religion and to the point where he it's interfering with uh his job as a starfleet officer which is interesting because star trek doesn't do that you really gotta wonder like what's going to happen with his career after this episode <laughs> for real i i think it's a wonderful idea that star trek unfortunately you know completely side sidelines um almost completely sidelines uh the idea that there would be people you know whose whose religious convictions are real when they're strong and they still see starfleet and the federation as their future and the future for you know the galaxy and all that but you really do have to wonder with this guy, <laughs> like, you know, there had to have been some sort of philosophy class that he he flunked or something, you know, that that pertained to to something like the uh, how would this guy handle uh, the the prime directive in the TNG era or or general order one, you know? Yeah, um, I could see him just being like, no, we're going to give these people guns because they're going to die otherwise. <laughs> he, has a, he presents a very black and white notion of the universe and not a very nuanced black and white either. It's like he should be on lower decks. Yeah, he does kind of come across as a lower decks character, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> they're ahead of their time. Yeah. I mean, I, I love lower decks, but we'll possibly talk about that after the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we as the episode continues, we find our first knowledge, the Brassica is what they're called. They're, these are the species that has been testing you, but we still don't know why. So yeah, then we, uh, and the enterprise goes off and, uh, back to our mission of exploration. 
the next two episodes are my favorites in the entire game, but I, I really like this next episode, Voids. While exploring the Atari's rift, the Enterprise is crippled by a mysterious anomaly that is slowly eating away at the structural integrity of the ship. Upon trying to transport to auxiliary control to effect repairs, Spock is somehow switched with a bizarre-looking alien with psionic powers. Uh, so then Kirk, along with Sulu and Chekhov, must like go around the Starship Enterprise uh, and track down the alien and figure out how to save Spock. So in this mission, you actually get to explore the Enterprise, and you get to explore a couple of areas that you know know very well from the series, including sickbay, the transporter room, uh, engineering, and uh, auxiliary control. Anyway, so you, you get to explore the ship, and you actually kind of get to be the captain of the ship. And you have to, like, if you want to get full points in this episode, you need to be checking in with various department heads to see how repairs are going or getting updates. I am a big fan of this mission. I think it is a lot of fun. And uh, again, there's uh, it, it takes a turn at the end. We'll talk about the first part of the mission, and then we'll talk about the second part of the mission. What do you think of the first part of the mission, Quinn? Yeah, um, for a good chunk of the ep- uh, the episode, um, and this obviously doesn't end up being completely true, but I was kind of looking at it as this, like, you know, is this uh, a ship in a bottle episode, which is... It's yeah, a bottle yeah, episode! <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's when, um, for those who aren't familiar, it's, I think this is something that's stated for like stuff outside star trek as well but like in the star trek context it's kind of like a budget saving thing where like the whole episode will take place on the ship so it's using pre-existing sets and some of trek's best pieces have have been done that way um and yeah for like in the context of um these two uh games you know 25th and uh and judgment rights just having an episode in there that for for a long time is that um yeah it's something i didn't realize i wanted needed until i was like combing around and i was like oh yeah how come we haven't done this before and um it just it kind of felt like i was touching the ship you know um playing this game from 03 13 28 years ago that was celebrating a ship from you know 26 27 years before that um Mm -hmm. i just i felt like i was like stepping back in time and I, I i don't know if this is the only star trek game where you can really do this like walk around uh the old school enterprise but it's the only one i've played and it was just a lot of fun you know the puzzles yeah the puzzles and such you know the writing it's all great but i just the ship was the main character here for me took yeah so the first part of the mission what did you what do you think about crawling around the enterprise yeah which is you know, thinking, you know, what you were talking about with, uh, you know, it's a budget saving thing. And I think when, when these uh, on the show, at least, but I think when you yeah. have a successful mission like that, it's, it kind of comes into one of those things where, um, you know, the, the limitations that are being placed on, you know, the crew and, you know, the, what's available to them, uh, helps bring up the, bring the tension helps bring, you know, their options are limited. Um, this is a, a, a bit of a tangent, but it's why a lot of people say that uh, people like a hero like Batman more than they like Superman. Like with Superman, there's never any question. He has whatever tool, um, you know, with his strength and his speed and whatever to be able to, you know, beat anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in, when you have like a bottle episode or in, in this, I guess this they still call it an episode where you have a bottle episode like the first part of this is, that is, you know, a, a part of, can be a part of its success when it's written well, is that they're very limited in what their options are and uh, they better get this fixed 
And also, you know, we've seen plenty of cases in the show's history of a ship going into one of these uh, rifts and environmental conditions get worse than expected. And it's a, a, a familiar situation in that we know there is a, there's a lot of risk involved for these guys. Yeah. And then, you know, moving on to, you know, the, the, the second part of the episode, um, it's a, it's a wild, a wild situation to have, uh, put themselves in, um, where now, uh, you know, the, there's this godlike being who is a Star Trek. Table. Of course, of course, you gotta, you gotta have the godlike being. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you can't uh, not. and this one is like, Hey, you know what? Feeling bad sucks. Um, so, I just want everybody to be happy and uh, feel good. And uh, Spock, <laughs> you don't seem to feel good, so I'm going to make you feel good all the time. <laughs> it was so 1960s, really. Now that you put it that way, or or 70s, arguably. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, this this godlike being, is infusing Spock with uh, positive emotions and happiness, which is torture for Spock because hey, he's a Vulcan. He doesn't want to feel like this. But this godlike being doesn't care. This godlike being thinks it's it's better than it knows better than uh, than us. Um, this is the apparently this is the only actual like red shirt death in the game where there are all these this this godlike being is in its own dimension, its own creation, and when it pushes down its negative emotions, the negative emotions get pushed up through the ground as rocks of all these different colors. So uh, you can send your red shirt off to pick up a pile of rocks. But if he doesn't have a bag to put them in, he will be uh, he will be injured, mortally injured. We don't see him die, but he will be very injured. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So you you pick up these rocks, and each rock has like a negative emotion associated with it. So you have to figure out like different combinations of emotion. And essentially, the solution to all of these puzzles is just to throw rocks at the godlike being. <laughs> I did really enjoy that scene though, where they're, where you're trying out the different combinations, uh, and they're yeah. feeling you know different things that help you figure out what the rocks you know specifically uh represent and what those combinations go um that was that was a lot of fun and, and seeing sort of everybody's reaction to things was yeah it was really cool oh that was another thing i wanted to mention about this episode which is this is the first episode where you are getting to play as the main cast members outside of kirk spock and mccoy uh since spock is in this dimension and mccoy is stuck in sick bay you know taking care of people uh, you are traveling around the ship with Sulu and Chekhov yep. and that's really cool. And they really do throw in some Star Trek lore too, where uh, when Spock goes away, uh, Sulu's like, I was a physicist the first time I came on the ship. And you're like, you were, you were wearing a blue shirt. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like every now and then I'll remember on TNG that Jordy was like on the bridge in season one. And I'm like, wait a minute. And then like Sulu mentions that in this, in this mission. And again, I was just like, it was the same, like, head swivel like wait a minute <laughs> very good writers very good ah you remembered um and this is something that's going to be continuing for the next few episodes which is you are getting to work with some other crew members uh, not just red shirts or <laughs> ensign johns but yeah so you throw rocks the being the being gets pissy and then sends you back to your ship with spock and uh that's the end of that there are a few different ways you can solve this uh, one of which ends up killing you um, but yeah, let's move on to the next episode. And this actually is my favorite episode in the entire game. I love it. I think it's so much fun. It's called Museum Piece. Uh, in this episode, the Enterprise finally gets shore leave after 25th anniversary and a bunch of missions in Judgment Right. They finally get to go on shore leave, but they end up in a hostage crisis. Uh, upon attending a ceremony at the Smithsonian Annex at Nova Atar, 
Uh, the entire museum is put into lockdown by a group of apparent terrorists who take two security guards hostage. Kirk, Scotty, and Chekhov must use all of the ancient museum exhibits to somehow free the hostages and bring the crisis to an end. So the reason I love this mission is, first off, Scotty is with you, and it's there are some very, very funny jokes with Scotty just being a being drunk. Scotty. <laughs> uh, being Scotty and just being a drunk. And like many of the solutions actually involve like alcohol and you having to use alcohol to solve puzzles. And every time you do, I just feel like Scotty is like, oh no. That poor cognac. <laughs> We're that wasting cognac. it. That cognac, no. Um, but I also think, and appropriate for Scotty, uh, because of Scotty's job, that this is the purest form of adventure game rub one item against the other logic mm, mm-hmm. in it, where because you are surrounded by these museum pieces and a lot of them like ancient computers and like a prototype transporter, and you have to use Scotty to like tear apart all of the museum exhibits and like hack them together into various devices that you can use to move from one room to another. It's great. Scotty, Scotty really gets to show us all why he's, you know, he's the original, the OG MacGyver. Yeah, I, um, story-wise, I mean, I really enjoy it, but I wouldn't say it's like my all-time fave or anything, but... Oh, it's not the best story. I agree with you about that. But gameplay-wise, holy heck, this is definitely my favorite. And and Judgment Rights has some really fun gameplay. Um, But yeah, I and you know, it's interesting too, because I... I might have the least experience with uh, like point and click adventure games out of the three of us. I've, I've only played a few. Um, so I, I kind of realized at one point during museum piece, I was like, Ooh, I really feel like I'm playing one now. I'm, I've been playing one the whole time. Yeah. But I was just like, you know, out of the few that I've played and a few that I've seen and that sort of thing, I was like, I'm really in it now. And, and being able to do that with not just a, a Star Trek wrapper, but a wrapper of just like this museum and all these different little cultural things and that sort of thing was it just it mm-hmm. made my day because it was these two things I love smashed into one and I'm just clicking all these items and seeing Scotty be funny and and you know it's great yeah it's uh, I, th- I think it's a solid mission what do you think Tuck? so this is a, again a little bit of a tangent but I'll, I'll keep it quick I really thought as you know smartphones came in or in the early days of smartphones and, and games on smartphones in particular there was a little bit of a renaissance of um point of you know point and click adventures although you were tapping on things i feel like that didn't really continue as people figured out how to monetize everything more but Mm -hmm. that was uh that was something that i was kind of looking forward to as it started so kind of kind of sad that it didn't continue but i I, yeah i did really love uh the sort of puzzle solving stuff in this mission and one of the fun things in this one is that you get to basically take a tour of most of the areas in the in the mission before stuff goes down so you walk around Mm -hmm. checking out all these exhibits and thinking "Ooh, how's this going to come up in a puzzle well i'm probably (laughs) gonna have to do Mm -hmm. like such and such and then like some of those things don't even happen a little bit you know there was a i think there was a space suit in there and i was like oh right, yeah well, at, some point, at some point we're gonna have to get that space suit and whatever no the space suit just gets blown up um <laughs> and well yeah i think i think that's one of my favorite parts of the vision is the kirk scotty and check off trash the museum <laughs> oh yeah 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 r.i.p r.i.p smithsonian uh, <laughs> we'll have to forge ahead with our own future <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> I remember looking at the sorry state of the place at the end. I was like, I, I don't care about this alien family feud anymore. I want this museum back. Yeah, that's the point where somebody in the log is like, um, boy, those terrorists, they really did a number on this place. <laughs> I tell you what. Yeah. Somehow they blew up the space chute and the console in the room next to theirs without even it's opening honestly, the door. God, that's impressive. We should get these guys working for us. It's too, too bad they <laughs> took out the security cameras, right? Oh. Yeah, I, I think this is a fun mission. Um, and it, it works as like a little kind of very similar to a, a, a comedic palate cleanser before the season finale, which is a two-parter. Star Trek, the original series, never had any two-parters, except for the Menagerie, but that doesn't okay. count. <laughs> the Menagerie doesn't count because it's a clip show. Technically, it's a, technically True. it's a clip show. Um, okay, it counts, <laughs> but um, it counts because it features a way better episode inside the episode. Um, oh. I, I, the Menagerie no, is terrible. It's a terrible you're not, episode. You're not wrong. <laughs> I, just, I forgot how bad it was till you said that. Yeah, whereas the cage is amazing. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so the final episode is Though This Be Madness. So uh, in this episode, an ancient but advanced alien ship is about to land in the middle of a Federation colony in the Klingon neutral zone. So uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Uhura must beam over to find out why the ship isn't responding to communications. Uh, alongside them, a Klingon captain and a battle cruiser come up because this is the, Romul- or this is the Klingon neutral zone. And there is a, uh, a peace treaty in effect. So they transport over to this ship to observe as well. And they all discover that the ship is being filled by those with uh, non-physical ailments that are uh, basically mental disorders. It's kind of like a, uh, I guess, an asylum for in the for the yeah. future. And there is also the ship is controlled by a malfunctioning AI that treats everyone on the ship as a child. So uh, we must fix the AI before the ship destroys the colony. So I think this is a very very good final mission because it it builds on everything that you quote unquote learned from all of the previous missions. There are dialogue puzzles, there are inventory puzzles, there are logic puzzles, ton of pure Trek along with it. Like, you know, the AI malfunctioning, uh, some of the betrayals of the passengers on the ship are borderline insulting. Yeah. But I think that's likely because it's 1993. And if you watch, if you watch a lot of star Trek, even star Trek, the next generation, some things like the Riker in the asylum episode, some of that doesn't, which is a great frame of of mind. Yeah. Uh, which is, is I really like it, but I think Riker gives a great performance in it, but some of the portrayals are a little bit, not exactly the most sensitive. And it's kind of that and way. And frankly, every too. time Troy drops, uh, Freud, <laughs> you know, yeah. in, in an episode of TNG, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So that happens a little bit here, but I, I agree with you. Um, sorry. I, I'm sure you were going to keep saying stuff, but yeah, I agree that it would, it, it no. had a great core to it. Um, and the multiple, places that we go as as we'll touch upon in part two really just keep it feeling fresh the whole time for me yeah and you need to uh because the klingons are also there they're kind of an antagonistic but passive force so you need to uh like are you going to be diplomatic to them are you going to be antagonistic what are you going to do and that really does play into uh this mission and the following mission yeah um i mean the whole episode um two episodes uh I think I love, I would say, perhaps most of all, at least until later on um, in the second part, which is like my favorite. Um, I love that, like you said, you have you have this Klingon presence here, but it's not uh, it's not really hostile. I mean, like there's the more malevolent. Uh, what is it, like it's it's his like the captain's like first officer or aide or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That guy's kind of a d- 
but I mean, like, yeah, you, you have suck. to have that here, I think, to like, especially to accentuate the fact that uh, that the captain himself is is not really like that. Um, and but he's still a Klingon, and he's still a TOS Klingon, and and you feel that in his dialogue, you feel that in the script, you feel that in some of the things that he does. But like, ultimately, by halfway through the first app, I was like, all right, yeah, but I'll be a little surprised if he betrays me, which, you know, kind of ends up factoring in a cool way later on. But um, yeah, I, w- I would say I, I love the the politics of it. I love that this is going on and it brings up the neutral zone and that sort of thing. Um, and then I love where everything is heading here, which I don't want to mention just yet, because I, I feel like we should you know, I'll talk about that, that second part, you know, as the second part, but, mm-hmm. um, it's good stuff. Yeah. So you, with what you were saying about the, the different attitudes of the, the two Klingons who are there with us most of the time, um, it, it's, it is interesting in, I think in both this game and in the interactions, like when we talked in the last episode about the Quetzalcoatl mission in the last one, like Kirk actually does seem to like know a thing or two about the Klingons, you know, beyond just like, superficial uh they're the bad guys um and have respect mm-hmm. for like i don't want to say like the the ideal of you know the the honor and things like that that they want to stand for uh so like klingons at their best he's like yeah i i get that and i respect it um and so yeah. when they do have these interactions and the one guy is like you said it's kind of a d- He's like, come on, man. Like, you know, you're you're really not being a good Klingon here. Look at your boss. Um, I thought that was that was interesting and good. I love that he just like knocks him out later. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it's also I also think it's really funny that uh this captain, the Klingon captain, also has an insubordinate officer, and unlike Kirk handling Ensign Johns, where he's just like, No, yeah, no, it's he, fine. We all need to learn. The Klingon just punches <laughs> him in the face. Punches him out cold and then just like has him brought back to the ship, I think. <laughs> it's like we'll deal with yeah. you later. Anyway, plot. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I, I like Clark. Going into the writing of this, you're right. There's a lot going on. I mean, you have the you have the why of the AI. You need to figure out how to stop the ship from uh, crashing. You need to help the people on the ship. You need to deal with politics. You need to deal with the Klingons. Uh, and there is some kind of mysterious test going on. And you know what's happening, but you don't quite know what it is. So, yeah. Uh, and the best thing is this episode ends with a cliffhanger. And Trek never has, uh, Trek TOS never has cliffhangers. Nope which has always been surprising considering the era when it was created, like always had cliffhangers, oh, yeah, like, like not just, not just Batman <laughs> either. Like the same bat times, exactly bat time, like it, it all, yeah, it always had cliffhangers and Trek never really had cliffhangers. They always sort of wrapped her up by the end of the episode. Yeah, It was an interesting creative choice. Um, I thought when I was yeah. younger, I thought, Oh, that's just how TV was back then. Cause I didn't know any better. Uh, but then when I started looking at some of the other shows, I was like, Oh, they they could have done that. <laughs> I think that's why the best of both worlds works so well is because no one at the time was expecting a yeah, two-parter. Yeah, that I think that must have thrown people at that time for an absolute whirlwind. It wasn't just Mr. War Fire, which is a great yeah. cliffhanger. It was the fact that there even was a cliffhanger. And it was a cliffhanger at the end of the season, so it was going to be a few months before they could even go back to it. Yeah, I, w- I will say as someone who uh, watched that when it was on TV the first time, yeah, that was uh, that was wild, and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was tough to wait. Mm-hmm. It was on TV for me, but I was like two, so I have a feeling that I wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't turn to your parents and yeah. be like, "Holy!" <laughs> sh- 
what's going to happen next week? My, my, my real TNT memories start around season six, season seven. At that point, I was probably just like, I like the really, really, really white guy with the eyes. Like, that was probably all I said. I, I loved Data as a kid, apparently. As you should, Data. Absolutely. <laughs> I also really enjoy how utterly TOS it is. And it's funny that I should say that because we just said that they never did this. But how utterly TOS yeah. it is that part one and part two form a quote though this be yes. Made, yes. Uh, though this be madness and then part two being yet there is method in it. it's just cherry on top it is and let's move on to that uh yet there is method in it um so in this episode kirk spock mccoy uhura and the klingon captain uh at the very end of the last episode a portal is open to another dimension where the brassicans uh invite them through and in this uh, dimension they must answer questions given to them to determine if they are worthy of contact and that's the whole mission. It's enti- there's no uh, until the very end. There are no inventory puzzles. It's entirely based on dialogue and logic and your own opinions. It's personal choice, which is really really cool. So yeah, the Braskins ask some questions. One of which ends up being very gendered, uh, which did not translate tremendously well to today's politics. But at the time, it probably wouldn't have been that yeah. controversial. But yeah, it's it's literally you need to figure out the the right person to answer these questions based on their opinion and eventually get down to you and the Klingon. So uh, I I think this is a really, really cool mission. And it has a really nice little ending piece too, where it's, there's there again, it's just dialogue. It's just logic. It's acting. How would Kirk act in this? How would Kirk handle this situation? It really does put you in the role of Kirk. I liked, I liked the, so, you know, they, they ask you like, which of you struggles the most with preserving life or what? I can't remember the exact word. The chaos of the life. Wording of the, of the different questions, but they all have an answer that you know, like, makes sense. Uh, it's it's yeah. not like they give their answers and you're like, oh well, duh. It's it's clearly Uhura. Like, of course, right. that's who I'm supposed to pick. It's like I could pick any of these people, and their answer is not horrible. Yeah. I may not ag- agree with them, but I see why they would say it. I really enjoy that. I also find it funny that you know, I mean, you're. You're playing as Kirk, so to speak, but Kirk himself partakes in these arguments over uh, who qualifies for, for various things. Yeah. So it's kind of like suddenly it's like, oh, oh, um, I think the game just took my hands off of the uh, steering wheel there. Because if I just <laughs> go with what Kirk's saying, I'm completely missing the point. Right. <laughs> and he's, and frankly, mm-hmm. there are people who are making better points than Kirk right now. Anyway, yeah, it was it was really cool. Um First, like right off the bat right now, I'll say this is actually my favorite mission, um, Mm -hmm. which is which is huge because there are so many good ones in this game. And um, I didn't know what I was going to get coming into it, except that obviously like the season long arc was going to be resolved. And I thought maybe there was going to be all these like, you know, science flask e puzzles and that sort of thing. And you're like in this weird, you know running man situation or something like that but instead it's just this total dialogue uh piece and and like you said there's that one thing that doesn't really work so well it's probably what i'm thinking is it um during the question about like who goes through the greatest pains in pursuit of life like with uhura Mm -hmm. and all that yeah she's like i i can make a baby and none of you can so yeah and the way that i think the way that it kind of like hit me a little off for like modern times personally was probably like the dialogue, like the way she says it, it, it felt to me less like she was saying, this is something that I can do and, and you can't even more almost like the game was saying, this is something I do 
and you don't. And that's mm. just kind of like, eh. but you know, again, it was 1993, that sort of thing. They probably weren't thinking as much about how to phrase it. Or... It was 1993 emulating 1969. So true. Totally true. Yeah. But also, Urhara gets gets the game script back anyway because like at the very end when she's she like she says she was offered the role um i'm jumping ahead but i'll just say like she's offered yeah. the role for something and she says no and she's like it's probably just another test anyway <laughs> i laughed yeah the original the original crew uh got some really decent moments in this game like across the board far more so far more so than the first game yeah far more so than the actual series in many cases <laughs> I, you know I, I love the tos films like that was weirdly enough that was like my real intro to tos because like my grandmother always had them on vhs you know and um but i remember like as i grew older and reading like con- you know contemporary reviews and that sort of thing and they point out that really aside from like four you know the voyage home most of the time uh the you know, aside, aside from the big three, everybody kind of gets one degree of shafted or another. And that didn't happen in Judgment Rights, which is like really nice. You know, it's like people are coming out of the movies now. They know that there's not going to be any more. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. here's actual George Takai one more time. Here's actual Nichelle Nichols. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough for me to remember because, like I said, I played the games in the wrong order. But I feel like the voice acting was better in this one. What do you guys think? It was. It was. To an extent. I think the rest of the original crew uh, worked very well because they had more to work with. They had more dialogue. They actually had characters. And they actually had moments. Um, I feel like Shatner was about the same. Was a little bit better, but it was about the same. I feel like DeForest Kelly wasn't as good. I don't know. Incidentally, I should mention, this is a, actually this is a horrible thing to say after I followed it up. This is DeForest Kelly's last performance as Dr. McCoy. And I don't know if it was later in his life. I mean, he lived for... He lived, uh, he passed away, I think, in like May or June of 99. So he was still going, yeah. It's possible that he was just yeah, not really feeling it as much at that point, you know, just aging, that sort of thing. I mean, yeah. There was one line in Though This Be Madness where he's ta- he's he's talking about medical stuff. And I swear to God that it was an outtake because I feel like he started laughing at the end of it. <laughs> and then he just gets cut off. I don't by remember Kirk. that line. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's like just doing medical technobabble. And he just like. <laughs> and Kirk's like, that, that's enough bones. Well, you know what the real problem is? You know why? You know why he didn't do quite as well this time? And I agree the voice acting almost across the board. Uh, is an improvement. In fact, I feel like Shatner stepped up a little bit more, maybe than you did, John. Um, I personally like. I feel like he was visibly stronger. But it, you know what got Kelly in the mood in in that first game was reading those episode titles, and they did not let him do that this time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> was just <laughs> every time that you were you've been bringing up a new uh, episode title, I've been tempted to just interrupt and be like Federation. <laughs> Boyd's. <laughs> but the forest, we gave you more dialogue. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, somebody's like just covering the microphone. Look, just tell him he can do it, and then we won't use him. It's fine. It's not like he's going to play the game anyway. None of you are. Just admit it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, I remember, um, to get back on track. Uh, the third question um, out of the bunch pig plus X equals cow. I, I, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. The age old question. <laughs> The fact that they have everybody um, getting so into it. My favorite part of that is Kirk pulling out his, I'm from Iowa. We know our livestock. I know. Like, how many times does he actually reference he's from Iowa? Like, I'm thinking Voyage Home a few times in the original, probably. Uh, Anyway, um, 
Yeah. Uh, does anyone else have anything to say about this episode or I'm going to wrap it up and we can uh, move on to the next uh, final thing and then we'll move on to housekeeping. I, I guess just, you know, that there is that final moment there where you, yes. you finish that test and, and you've picked somebody for all the questions and then you go back and they're like, Oh, Hey, uh, you know, we told those Klingons that our, our satellite or that that ship really didn't get any information, but it totally did. And here it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have to decide like, what do I do with this? Um, and of course, that's that's the final test. The final test is actually my favorite part. So yeah, I'll say um, I think the moment when like because I had Kirk like uh, hand his you know his crystal to Clar, the crystals being like the things that are allegedly you know like these dark secrets the Federation needs, and then you know the Klingons got that allegedly and that sort of thing. Um, when Kirk hands the crystal to Clar, and Clar just kind of like like the animation of of his his you know sprite is like his hands and arms go up and then they go down and the crystals both go and shatter and i'm like peak klingon and he's just like trust breeds trust and it was so cool <laughs> such drama <laughs> so klingon yep. and then you get a nice little scene at the end where you get to find out how you did for all of your missions and i discovered though i thought i did really really well in all the missions turns out i didn't do perfect because the admiral was like yeah, I did a pretty good job. Then the McCoy like was like, what do you mean did a pretty good job? Seriously, you know how many times I've been clicking this mouse over the past day? And then, uh, yeah, the two ships go off into different directions. You kind of get a last little moment with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, just like you would in the series. And that's the end of the game. And a good game it is. Indeed. Yes. I think that if you love Star Trek, then you should absolutely play this game. It's available on GOG. It's available on Steam. If you are a fan of point-and-click adventure games, I think there's quite a bit here for you as well. There are some very clever puzzles, um, some interesting puzzles in the sense that they're not just inventory. There's dialogue puzzles. There's logic. Character puzzles where you need to actually understand another character and their point of view in order to move forward. I think there's some pretty cool stuff here, and I I highly recommend this game. I do not recommend 25th Anniversary Unless you are a Star Trek fan or you play this and you just need more. But the nice thing is that if you've listened to these episodes and you jump into Judgment Rights and you meet Burdell, you'll know that, no, you're not forgetting something. You really don't know this guy. (laughs) (laughs) No. No idea. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty funny if actually it would have been even better if Kirk had no idea who he was either. (laughs) You're just like, yeah, you bet you'd never see me again. Kirk's like, oh, but yeah, I sure didn't. Who is this guy, Spock? <laughs> That's the remaster that we we need but don't deserve, where they just like tweak nothing but like improve the puzzles a little bit and change the dialogue in that encounter. Have him deliver like the M. Bison speech, you know, for yes. you. The day you met Kirk was the most important day for your in your life. For me, it was Tuesday. Beautiful. Yeah. So this was a great game, and if people are looking for a sequel to this game, I have some bad news. Um, I'm just going to wrap this episode up. I'm going to wrap this episode up in a second with a question for both uh, Took and Quentin. But this theoretically wasn't the end of the Interplay Star Trek adventure games, uh, original series adventure games. There was supposed to be a game named Star Trek, the, uh, the Secret of Vulcan Fury. And it was going to be released in 1999. And unlike the animations in this, it was going to be a fully rendered uh, game. And unlike these games, it was going to be written by DC Fontana, who was an original writer for Star Trek the TOS. It was going to, everything was fully voiced. Uh, the cast, they'd recorded all of their parts and Interplay started doing it. And Interplay had a bad quarter and the production was 
running into some difficulties with the technology needed and the budget for the game. They just didn't have the budget to pull off a 3D game of this magnitude at this time. And they canceled it. And it is, it's such a shame to me that they canceled it. Because first off, like there are many of the original series cast who are gone now. And somewhere, hopefully somewhere, in some drawer, there are recordings of the original cast uh, delivering these performances. Uh, like in some cases, their final performances as these characters. And it seems to me that whoever owns the rights, however, however the rights are going, get your hands on these things and create a brand new adventure game, a brand new Star Trek original series adventure game using these original, uh, this original script written by DC Fontana and, you know, recorded by the original cast. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be a- I'd pay that. I'd pay for that through the Absolutely. nose. Yeah, me too. Where's my Kickstarter? <laughs> I'm genuinely curious who has it because I don't. I've never found. It's never leaked. I don't think these vocal tracks are available anywhere else. So either they were deleted, which would be a real crime, or there somebody has them in a drawer somewhere. Anyway, so yeah, that is Star Trek Judgment Rights, and um, I'm really glad that you guys enjoyed it. I'm really, really happy that you were that you came on these two podcasts to talk about it with me, and you you participated in my stupid little skits uh, at the beginning of each, which just makes me happy. I very much appreciate that. <laughs> it's been fun. It has been. Well, to close these, to close both of these episodes off, I wanted to ask you both a question for the audience. Um, both of these games, though they do involve the original cast, uh, they're technically non-canon. And a lot of Star Trek is non-canon. And believe it or not, a lot of the best Star Trek is non-canon. Uh, so I wanted to ask the two of you to share your favorite piece of non-canon Star Trek uh, with the audience. And unfortunately, non-canon Star Trek does not include Galaxy Quest or the Orville. <laughs> well, there goes my pick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, the Orville is coming back in a couple of yeah, months. Yeah, it's excited. been a long time. Um, yeah, the first season is rough. The second season has some pretty good stuff. In it, and the third season, if it follows the TNG model, will be amazing. So... Um, yeah. So why don't you tell, why don't you share with, uh, with both our audience and, uh, Quentin and I, what, what is your favorite recommend a piece of non-canon Trek to us? All right. So I am a, a big fan of, of Green Lantern in general. I personally own like actual, uh, jewelry kind of green lantern and blue lantern rings. And my wife has a violet lantern ring. Nice. Um, so, um, I'm a little little biased in my pick here, but uh, I'm going to go back to one that we mentioned uh, in the last uh, episode, which is the Star Trek Green Lantern crossovers. Um, there's, it, I think they just did some fun stuff with the characters. It kind, it, I think it definitely works better if you are a Green Lantern fan and you know about the whole Spectrum thing that came into play. Boy, it's been been longer than i'd like to think at this point since that's since that showed up but it's fun to see everybody get different uh different rings and play with different things um it's one of the things that i think actually uses the jj abrams the kelvin verse uh star trek well mm. because there's this concept of black lantern rings that bring people back from the dead and so the villain uses that to bring back the entire population of the planet vulcan oh wow um, as zombies yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is which is pretty dark um that's the real secret of vulcan fury right exactly. there <laughs> i'd be pissed um, off too uh so that that really works um and uh, so yeah i think that's that's a lot of fun and that that's a thing that i love but i, I do also want to throw a nod um to a set of comics called uh star trek new visions 
Um, yes. They're, uh, John Byrne uh, writes them, wrote them. I'm not sure uh, if they're still going on, uh, but they're... I think they're over. But it's called yeah. a, a, a photo novel um, comic. So the, the visuals are all like captures from episodes of the show or different things. So it's, it's you know, pictures of the actual cast with comic book words uh, put in. Uh, and I, there's some good stories in there. And I think it's great to see kind of the stuff that they've been able to pull off with, you know, original footage, uh, but new stories. I, I Incidentally, I am with you on that. I highly recommend uh, it as well. Uh, it is crazy and is fun and it, it just, it merges the two universes together really well. And I mean, alongside that, honestly, pretty much every single comic that IDW uh, has released for Star Trek has been very, very good and very imaginative. And for other properties as well, their Ghostbusters comics are amazing. Like their Ghostbusters comics are, I would kill to get a new Ghostbusters animated series uh, animated in the style of these comics with the original writers. It, it's just, they're just fantastic. IDW has been on fire. Like, yeah, I've, I've, I've yeah, also really read have. New Visions, for example. Spectacular. I second that. Anyway, Quentin, why don't you uh, share your uh, your piece of non-canon trek with the audience? Yeah, so um, I did a little thinking, because there were a few kind of on the radar in my brain. And I think the one piece that I, I can recommend, especially like in 2021, uh, above anything else, is um, one of the big tabletops, which is called Star Trek Adventures. Um, mm -hmm. it's basically like if, if you're not too familiar with tabletop, yes, it's like D and D with Star Trek. Um, but it feels very much like Star Trek. It doesn't feel like D and D so to speak. There's a lot of, um, well, first of all, I mean, there's, there's as much creative license as you like, because as is the case with, with most tabletop adventures, you can either go with the pre-existing modules, which tell some pretty impressive stories. There's actually some pretty good stuff in there. Um, or you can, you know, write your own stuff. Um, so that's really fun. Uh, there are multiple um, eras. Uh, so there's TOS. Uh, there's there's TNG, of course, is going in all sorts of different directions now. Um, just the fact that there's, there's a tabletop book called Star Trek Adventures Alpha Quadrant with like DS9 on the cover is honestly what sold me on it. Hmm. But then I was hanging out uh, at a friend's house and I saw that uh, she was painting some miniatures and um, she's like big into like Warhammer and, and stuff like that, which I've, I've never actually like really dived into. So I thought that's what she was doing. And I got a little closer and I was like, that is Gold Ducat. <laughs> <laughs> so they have I mean, they have like all these sets, including one that's like iconic villains. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember who's in there. Uh, it's got Kong. It's got the board queen. It's got a. Uh, got Ducat. Um, mm -hmm. I want to say it has at least one Klingon. It might be Chang from uh, from uh, the sixth film. Yeah, but really just like tabletop is something that I got into kind of kind of late in life so far, so to speak. And um, this is the only licensed one that I've, I've dabbled in. So I'm sure that there are other really mm -hmm. great ones. Oh, it was partially the storyline was partially developed by Dayton Ward. That's yeah, yeah. Dayton Ward, a uh, big, big Trek writer, uh, novelist. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's good stuff. I would definitely recommend it, uh, especially if you're into tabletop. Um, I would recommend it if you can figure out how to do it, like, you know, online, like a lot of people do with with D&D &D and Pathfinder these days because of the pandemic. Um, it's probably <laughs> a good gateway for people to get into Star Trek if they're wondering what it's all about. And uh, my runner-up <laughs> would be if none of that sounds like a good time to you, but you do enjoy 
playing video games, which hopefully you do because you're listening to this. Uh, there's a old, there's an old um, civilization like uh, Star Trek game from I think 1999 called Birth of the Federation, which uh, plays very much like a save, but it's got the Star Trek wrapper and that sort of thing. There's some cool things like, uh, oh no, there's like a board cube that shows up at the end of the map, and it's like, that's not good. Um, on its own, it's pretty decent, but there's a great modding community for it to this day that's done some great stuff. So I'd say check that out as well. That's awesome. Well, since you mentioned Star Trek novels, I might as well jump into mine, best non-canon Trek. And although I, I wish that I could pick uh, the all of the novels, because... Uh, Post DS9, they started really, this, this company started releasing a lot more, con- they kind of created their own novel continuity and like various spinoffs and various other kinds of, uh, uh, other kinds of books. Like there was the Star Trek Corps of Engineering, which was great. It's just about, well, exactly that. Just this engineering corps that travels around fixing problems. And uh, there was a book featuring just a Klingon ship. But my all-time favorite, and this is the one that really kicked it off, is called Star Trek New Frontier. And it's written by Peter David, who was a famed Star Trek novelist and and DC Comics uh, writer. And New Frontier, it's a lot, it's kind of a lot like Lower Decks before Lower Decks was even a thing. It's the ultimate spin-off. It uses a lot of spin-off characters, like Robin Leffler is in there, Shelby is the first officer. Uh, some original characters that Peter David created from other books. He he added three characters from his child or his his children's TNG series, Starfleet Academy, um, and uh, and some other original characters. But it's like Star Trek, but if Star Trek was a screwball comedy, and the captain was like Kirk amped up to ten, and everyone has sex. <laughs> there is so much sex in these books. Um, they are so funny and they are, but they are still authentically Trek. They are absolutely packed full of Trek. Um, and they are the first four books. The first book, I guess you could say is a series of four. It's like a mini series of four books. Um, real quick, easy reads. I highly recommend them. Uh, they should be available just on like Amazon, that kind of thing in digital form. I, they're, they're, they're so damn funny and they're so damn original. And I really wish that a Star Trek series would be based off of them because that would make me very happy. Um, and I guess my backup is technically non-canon, but it's also canon and it's almost impossible to find anymore because, uh, Paramount, uh, Paramount knocked it out of existence, which was a fan creation. It was called stage nine and it's a fan recreation of the entirety of the USS Enterprise D and it is first person. There's no story. There's no game. It's just literally you're walking around the ship and they are using the official Star Trek TNG blueprints to create this ship. And it's amazing. It is genuinely jaw-dropping how insanely detailed and remarkable this is. You can still find versions of it before Paramount threatened to sue them out of oblivion. But if you're curious about their work, after Paramount came down on them, apparently the producers of the Orville approached them and said, hey, do you want to do the same thing for the Orville? So yeah, this they have created a fully, a fully modeled version of the Orville. If you're curious and you don't want to go on a Reddit hunt for stage nine, but it's called stage nine and I highly recommend it because it's just the coolest thing. That's really cool. Yeah, there are videos of it on YouTube. If you don't want to download it yourself, just type in stage nine, check it out. It just reminded me of the fact that we were supposed to get a life-size enterprise in Las Vegas and then Paramount backed out. Yeah, Paramount is, uh, anyway, so, uh, thank you both for being here and thank you for sharing, uh, the Star Trek, uh, non-canon recommendations i highly appreciate it um and yeah i'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping now before we get back um so next week on retro encounter uh Solosi is back Solosi is back from the dead um 
and he is going to be uh, back with a two-parter for Yi's Origin. And uh, then immediately following that, we're going to be uh, taking a look at a sequel to a very beloved game. And then in December, uh, I'm going to be back on Retro, and I'm going to be taking a good look at Final Fantasy V. Uh, by then, the remaster should be out. So if you want to listen and play along, please, uh, it's, it's going to be a fun time. Uh, if you have any comments about uh, Retro Encounter and you'd like to talk to us about them, you can send us an email to retro at rpgfan.com. You can also comment on the boards. You can visit our Facebook page or Instagram page or Twitter page or Discord. Uh, RPG Fan streams every day, does Twitch streaming every day. So yeah, check that out. Um, alongside this, we also have three other podcasts. One I host, it's called Random Encounter, and we talk about uh, current game reviews and features on the site and that sort of thing. We have RPG Fan's music podcast, Rhythm Encounter, which uh, is in full steam ahead, and uh, we are we are we have some episodes coming up that we are super super excited about. And uh, Phoenix Edge with Hat and Eric, and this is on YouTube, and they usually talk about RPG news and that kind of thing. As for Retro Encounter, please review us on iTunes, Google Play, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. We love feedback, so give it to us. Uh, check out our Twitter, social media. Like I said, you can find me at Jono underscore Logan, or you can fire me off an email at jlogan at rpgfan.com. Or if you have some thoughts for Random Encounter, you can fire off an email to random at rpgfan.com. And let's talk to uh, Tooker. Where can we find you online? I would say the, the best place is just to email uh, John T at rpgfan.com. Cool. And Quentin, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me either on Twitter at uh, Quentin Writes, Q-U-I-N-T-O-N-W-R-I-T-E-E-S, or you can contact me via email at Quentin, followed by the letter C, Quentin C at rpgfan.com. Cool. Well, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you both about Star Trek for the last little while in the last two episodes. It, I, I love talking about Star Trek and I don't get to do it very often. So thank you both very much for being here. Same. Thank you for, for being the genesis for this. I'm so glad that we've been able to do it. I would totally do like a, a, a I don't know, new species, new civilization encounters podcasts. The problem is it needs to start with an R. Trek encounters wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out and we'll find far more, far more, far more RPGs than exist for Star Trek. And then we'll get back to you. Well, there is another Star Trek adventure game, Star Trek The Next Generation, the uh, the final Unity. But we'll, uh, maybe that will happen yeah. in the future. So anyway, thank you all listening very much. And uh, may the great bird of the galaxy roost on your planet. <laughs>